Well, now it is time to turn our attention towards golf, and to do so, I am joined in studio by Aidan Crowley. Aidan, unfortunately, it is some sad news that we must begin with today. Yes, um, people of a certain age, and particularly golfers of a certain age, will have been saddened uh, to learn on the uh, 5th of December of the death of Peter Alice. And uh, Peter Alice was an English professional golfer. After his golfing career, he went into television presentation. He was uh, the voice of golf for many, many years. He was a writer on on the subject of golf, and he was a golf course designer. And... When you think about that generation of golfers, the likes of Jack Nicklaus, Sam Sneed, Arnold Palmer, these people come to mind immediately. You don't think of Peter Alice in that league and he wasn't in that league, but he wasn't a bad golfer by any manner of means because between 1952 and 1969, he won 20 professional tournaments, including three British PGAs. Uh, those were successes in 57, 62 and 65. He had five top 10 finishes in the British Open Championship, the closest of which was in 1954. That was at Royal Birkdale when he finished four shots behind the champion Peter Thompson. He played on eight Ryder Cup teams between 1953 and 1969. And the record was 10 wins, 15 losses and five half matches. And as well as that, he played on Great Britain's victorious 1957 Ryder Cup team. But more interestingly still, Cuivine, Peter Alice and his father, Percy, were the first father and son to both participate in and both win the Ryder Cup. Father and son winning the Ryder Cup. And in addition to that, he represented England in the World Cup on 10 occasions. So he... He may not have had a stellar golf professional career, but he was a pretty uh, dab hand at the game. And I remember, I, don't, I have no recollection of him actually on the, on the golf course as a professional golfer, but he first entered my uh, head in or about 1972-73 when, uh, when he was go- commentating because he really became the voice of... Uh, golf in Britain for many, many years. Uh, before him, there was another great, great commentator, uh, a gentleman called Henry Longhurst. He died in 1978 and Peter Alice uh, took over uh, from him in, in 78 as the voice of golf. Uh, mind you, he had been broadcasting with Henry Longhurst and Henry Longhurst and Peter Alice were the team. Uh, in fact, his, his first started working for the BBC at the 1961 Open Championship when he was still a golfer uh, who had actually competed in the tournament and then after his retirement as a player Alice worked full-time in television becoming the league golf uh, commentator for the BBC after the death of Henry Longhurst in 1978. And just as an aside um, people of a certain age may also remember the 1964 James Bond movie Goldfinger and um, Bond was played in that movie by Sean Connery and it involves a scene where Connery as Bond plays golf against the gold magnet uh, Goldfinger at the Stoke Park Golf Club in Buckinghamshire. And who is giving Sean Connery the lessons in advance of the of the shooting of that particular scene but Peter Alice and it started a lifelong love affair with golf by Sean Connery. Sean Connery hadn't lifted a golf club up till then. 
And once he got the lessons from Peter Alice, he just fell in love with the game. And of course, he, actually come to think of it now, Sean Connery died earlier this year as well. And uh, Peter Alice now and both of them are probably blasting out of bunkers in the sky at this stage. Or Anyway, so he he was very successful as a golf commentator. And I'm, I remember growing up in my teens playing golf with a great friend of mine, Porrick Walsh, uh, who really kind of had to put up with a lot when we were on the golf course together because I do the commentary and my my hero at that stage as I've told you before was Gary Player who was about my size about five foot six and a half and that half inch is very important and Porrick was about six foot three or four and so Porrick could be anybody Seve Ballesteros whoever and um, we'd be playing the nine holes in Castlebar and I'd be doing the commentary and it was absolutely fantastic but as he got as Peter Ellis got I, I just loved Peter Ellis and I loved his voice and it was like flowing water but as he got older, he began to um, criticise some players. And it started in 1999, and he was perfectly entitled to criticise Jean van der Velde in 1999. The British Open Championship was played in Carnoustie. The Frenchman um, was all over the shop. But if he was, he had a triple bogey seven on the final hole. When even, even if he had had a double bogey, Six, he'd have won the British Open, right? And he was in a creek. And instead of, you know, taking the ball out of the creek and playing it with a penalty stroke, he decided he'd play it from the water. And there was maybe half an inch of water. And and he made a dog's dinner of it. And he ended up with the triple bogey seven. And as a result of that, he didn't win the the Open. And during the commentary... um, Peter Alice branded Jean van de Velde's actions as totally ridiculous and said he was guilty of pure madness. And I think that he was absolutely right. I mean, if you need, if you can still win the British Open on the 18th at Carnoustie with a double bogey, why don't you just allow yourself that penalty drop rather than making a dog's dinner of it? And he made a complete dog's dinner of it. Absolutely. And then more recently in 2011, he gave an interview, um, he criticised Tiger Woods saying, the aura has gone, he used to be nicer and he became grumpy, he hasn't done anything to recapture the public's affection. And he went on to say, and boy, this was prescient, Alice said that he doesn't believe that Woods will surpass Jack Nicholas's record of 18 majors championship. And I don't think he will, even though he is 15, he's not too far behind him, but I don't think he will. But I mean, you know, 2011 was three years after that awful situation of of Tiger and all that happened in 2008 with his wife and the marriage and the, the women and all of that. I mean, the hour was gone. There was no question about that. Um, and he did become grumpy. Now, as he got somewhat older, he's become less grumpy. But, you know, he didn't do anything to really to recapture the public's affection until he won the Masters last year. So I think Peter Ellis was right. Yeah, I think you, that was totally fair criticism. And it was something people were, were, were saying themselves, were, were passing comment on at that time. And Tiger's golf during those turbulent years reflected, you know, a man who was having severe issues and, and, and troubled with his own personal life, never mind his golfing game. Uh, anything else before we wrap up on Peter Alice, Aidan? No, uh, well, just finally to maybe just make reference to a, another criticism that he made during the 2013 Open Championship at Muirfield. He criticised uh, Ian Poulter for making what Alice said were childish comments after his opening round of 72 in the tournament, Poulter said some of the pin positions were a joke and the 18th needed a windmill and a clown's face like a crazy golf course. 
Alice responded by saying, Poulter's remarks are just childish. You can't say stuff about windmills and clowns' faces. It's just ridiculous. I never heard Jack Nicholas or Arnold Palmer come out with comments like that. A lot of others give up before they even get going. It's a PhD, not an O-level. Brilliant stuff. He was, he, was, he was wonderful. He was absolutely wonderful. It's wonderful even now to go back on YouTube and the like and listen to him. As I say, it was a, a voice like flowing water. Moving on to some local news that has uh, hit the national newspapers, I suppose, local in a sense. The most successful, largest, best-known golf club in Connacht, the County Sligo Golf Club in Ross's Point in Sligo, is involved in a debacle and a court case surrounding a supposed errant shot that hit, well, it was shot by a, a gentleman called Kevin LeBlanc and a, another man called Colin Campbell uh, was hit in the head by this suspected errant shot and the issue seems to totally revolve around Mr LeBlanc not shouting four mm. like it was a, a competition and that he knew it could potentially damage somebody if if they were to be hit by it. Well I was reading the court report on this during the week and counsel for the plaintiff uh, in this case the injured party uh, the basis of their case is that it was a wayward shot and it being a wayward shot it required the sh- to, to shout four whether it was a tournament or a competition or just players playing for the, the love of the game. And um, it's, no four was shouted, as a result of which it hit the, the, the plaintiff and um, he's now suing. Counsel for the defence in this case, including the man who struck the ball and the golf club, and I think the GUI is named as a defendant as well, their argument is it was not an errant shot, it was not a wayward shot, it was beautifully struck. It didn't require um, require anyone to shout for. So it comes down to defining what is meant by a wayward or errant shot. And I think that's what the judge is going to have to decide. When is a wayward shot a wayward shot? And when is it not a wayward shot? And that should be very interesting, I think. I think this case will settle myself. On the broader point, though, if you go to... I mean, it's now now to whether... It uh, it was a wayward shot or an errant shot. But, you know, if you go to a golf course and you're in the gallery, there are risks associated with that. Another issue that has come up during the week is this case involving Steve Thompson and other former professional rugby players in relation to dementia and neurological uh, injury. You know, if you play the game, you clearly take on board the fact that there are risks involved, and particularly a game like rugby. But golf is no different. If you decide that you're going to be in the gallery and, uh, you know, a a shot strikes you, well, then my own view of this is that it's a risk you take. If you don't want to take that risk, then you don't go there. But in this case, it's from a from a legal point of view is, you know, what is it? What was a wayward shot? You know, is that ever going to be possible to to try and get a definition on that without video evidence, without knowing the full uh, swing that this gentleman Kevin LeBlanc took before it hit Mr. Campbell in the head. He said the only thing he remembered was a bang and waking up in hospital. He was he was kept in, in hospital overnight for observation. Yes, well I mean I wouldn't like to get hit on the head with a golf ball either, I uh, can assure you. But looking at it kind of from a legalistic point of view, if the... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just after reading the, the final line of the article on this and it says... This is about Mr. Campbell. He says, while he still plays a bit of golf, he has a lot of fear of being hit again. 
Well, then the, the advice I'd give to Mr. Campbell would be exclusively psychological. Leave the golf course behind you. Take up tiddlywinks. But for God's sake, don't play golf if you're now fearful of being struck on the head again. And the likelihood of that is, well, I don't know what the probability is, but but um, the, the situation is that we're now going to have to ask where exactly was Mr. Campbell located when he was struck on the head? If he was standing behind the green, and the wayward tee shot was to a, a par three and he was struck on the head standing behind the green. That wouldn't be wayward. That was just a player who decided to play a five iron when a six iron would have been quite sufficient to drop it short. On the other hand, if he was way to the left or way to the right of the fairway and the ball was shanked or there was a hook or a draw. Well, you know, a hook or a draw is not necessarily a, way, a wayward uh, tee shot. In fact, it can be very, very useful. And certainly a draw from the tee, the ball will run like mad. So I think the 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 intricacies of golf may be on display over the course of this uh, trial. But I think if the parties had any sense at all, they would settle. And mind you, if I was acting for the insurance company, I wouldn't be offering too much. Yeah, I think it's one that will probably rumble on for quite some time. It is a beautiful golf course. Oh, it's a fabulous golf course. I've played it several times and it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, I think it's fortunate as well now in Mayo we will have the tournament next year to look forward to hopefully spectators will be there in Belmullet in the Cairn Golf Links that is the uh, Irish PGA Championship so another fabulous golf course it is it is quite quite spectacular spectacular one I suppose that we all have on our sporting calendars for 2020 no doubt about it particularly the last four or five holes beside the sea beautiful excellent stuff Aidan Crowley thanks a million for joining us here on the Saturday Sports Show